Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Independent Life Podcast, Disability Dojo version. Welcome to it. Today, we are going to continue pulling on the thread of suffering. Yes, it's the dojo. We take on these very hard, challenging type topics. And I wanted to begin the dojo today with a bit of a caveat with the word suffering and what it points towards, you know, especially since we are kind of having this theme. We, uh, a couple episodes ago, uh, I talked about some of my observations regarding suffering, what I'm seeing uh, in my professional life, what I'm seeing in my personal life, what I'm seeing in society, some thoughts about it and some, you know, basic ideas about how through that suffering we can find meaning. In the previous episode, shared a tool that I learned from the ancient Stoics about the inner citadel and how that can be very important in having a very inner fortitude uh, as we go through the suffering and what that was about. And today, I'm going to continue on that thread. And when I talked about the inner citadel, I talked about one of the four walls being Stoicism. And I definitely talk uh, a bit about Stoicism here and there in long form interviews and pepper that out. But the Stoics definitely have a lot to say about resilience and fortitude during adversity. But before I get into that, I definitely want to mention some caveats about this word suffering. Uh, First of all, you know, the less suffering we can have in our life, the better. You know, I, I don't want to get it conflated with, you know, saying how awesome suffering is because there's so much purpose and meaning that can come out of it. You know, I absolutely believe a lot of purpose and meaning can come out of it without a doubt. And that's what, you know, kind of we've been really getting into and how that can be surfaced. But, you know, I alluded to it in the, the first episode we talked about it. But, you know, as we're going through the suffering or as at least I'm going through the suffering, it can be very difficult to understand why you know, uh, going through it and what the purpose is. And it often isn't with the past until the passage of time happens that a lot of the meaning and purpose and why kind of comes to fruition. But as we're going through it, it's just pain. And, it, and uh, there, there's a really great quote that says, you know, pain is mandatory, but suffering is optional. And where, the way I take, a, you know, out of that quote is saying that, you know, we, we don't need to wallow in the suffering. You know, it, life is going to hurt. Absolutely. And it can make us stronger. But we also don't need to wallow in it. So, so I think that's also an, an important caveat to note. And, and, you know, it's kind of like when I think about examples of how we tend to get better after the suffering, I think about physical activity. You know, as we're doing something physically active, whether it's running, swimming, biking, strength training, doing something that our body isn't used to, we don't get stronger as we're doing it. We get stronger after we've done it, once we've recovered from it. Even like when we get an infectious disease, you know, our body is fighting off the disease and it doesn't build the immunity right away. It's after the disease has been defeated and um, our autoimmune system then, you know, builds the antibodies and prepares itself for the next time it encounters this infectious disease. So it happens afterwards. And there's this concept in psychology that talks about psychological immunity. And so this idea that we don't build up the psychological immunity until we go through the events that are causing the suffering that we're going through. So, 
you know, a lot of times the meaning and purpose of why we're going through the suffering doesn't really happen until we're, we're going through it. So uh, for any of you that are listening right now and being challenged, and, and I am too, you know, I'm definitely got a lot of things going on in personal life, professional life, and just life in general. It can be, really sound like maybe a bunch of woo-woo, uh, this whole, you know, yeah, there's so much meaning and purpose and suffering. And just think positive. I am not saying that at all. Um, you know, it's actually counterproductive just to think positive and think happy thoughts, you know, as, as you're going through the, the hard times. And also want to say that everything I'm sharing here, it's it, it starts with me. You know, I, I am not a mental health expert. I'm just talking about what I'm learning and I continue to learning uh, as I go through it. And uh, you know, anything that I'm saying here is as m- much or more for myself than it could be for any of the listeners that are going through it. A lot of times authors will say they write the book that they're, you know, looking for to read themselves and, and you know, research is me search. And, and so a lot of this is for myself as well. And, and again, it comes through the observations that I have about the people that we serve here at the center. You know, the, I'm very attuned to, you know, people with disabilities already having a lot of challenges. But nowadays it just seems to be amplified and, and certainly our staff who are doing the wonderful work that they're doing are being challenged. And, and it just seems like we're all doing more than we ever have at this job that we've already been you know, pretty busy. Uh, but now it just seems like uh, more than ever we are. And so, again, that's the impetus for, for having uh, this conversation. And, and for me, kind of just uh, gleaming some of what we were really talking about from the last time, having a philosophical foundation, you know, some principles and some values that were, you know, if I've called out, that we're very in touch with, uh, for me, I find to be so important. I find it to be the anchor for when the seas are rough and going through these definitely challenging times and through the adversity. Um, having you know an understanding of, of what I who I am and, and what I believe in is so important. I, I have often said on this podcast that you know before the pandemic, our center went through a strategic planning process and we called out our values, integrity, commitment, collaboration, diversity. And we called out all these things and, and they have really helped to center us during the uncertain times. So having values and having a philosophical foundation about you know what we believe in and what we stand for is so important, especially when the times are tough and when it's really challenging. You know, it's kind of like, you know, a, a boat without an anchor, you know, is just going to get tossed around in the seas and be untethered. And, you know, all kinds of things are, are subject to happen to us. So um, having that kind of uh, understanding provides us clarity in uncertain times. So, uh, you know, I encourage you to find out what floats your boat philosophically or, you know, go deeper into it. If you've identified certain values, you know, really defining it and then really understanding how what it looks like in practice and day-to-day life and and taking action on it and certainly that's why um, I find that the philosophies that have withstood the test of time that are still the philosophies and the foundational principles that are just as relevant today as they were thousands of years ago for me have have truth to it you know so so this idea that you know the these philosophical principles, say, of stoicism that were true before electricity, before cars, roads, uh, cell phones, well before all that other stuff, you know, still apply today. Uh, it resonates that there's got to be some truth to it for me and for, and for what, I, what I have in my life. And, you know, again, this was a philosophy founded on misfortunes. It was founded on suffering. Uh, Zeno, the person who founded stoicism, was a very wealthy merchant. 
He, you know, was uh, somebody that provided color purple to clothing, and, and this was uh, used by emperors and royalty. And um, he suffered a shipwreck, lost everything. This is back before there was insurance, and he basically washed up with nothing but, you know, the clothes on his back, um, and found himself in Athens again with nothing went from having everything to nothing and fell into a philosophy, fell into really good hands with a good role model who was a good student of Socrates. And, you know, from that founded Stoicism. And he went on to say that I, you know, found a great fortune when I suffered a shipwreck. And I don't think he, you know, uh, you know, would say like during that shipwreck and shortly after that shipwreck that while he was going through that suffering that he, he probably found a lot of meaning and purpose. It was through the passage of time that he was able to understand because of that shipwreck, because of having nothing, he was you know, driven into a path where he found um, a lot of wise teachings that he was able to consolidate and come up with certain you know, principles and foundations for, and the, his understanding of it, he began to share it, and it became stoicism. And he then, over the passage of time, says, wow, that was a really good thing that happened to me. But he probably didn't say that as he was going through it, to make my point that, uh, at the beginning of this episode. So some, some stoic ideas and, and mantras that really have helped me. Um, I've said it probably the most uh, on, on this podcast, but comes from Epictetus saying, you know, our chief task in life is to identify those things that are up to us and those things that are not up to us. This pandemic, we had no control over this pandemic spreading worldwide. How we respond to the pandemic is certainly up to us. When we're stuck in traffic, that traffic, we didn't cause that traffic. The weather that, that might come, we don't control the weather. We don't control wh- uh, what people say. You know, they're going to say all kinds of things. You know, we don't control those things. But we do control how we respond to those things, what we choose to think about the traffic, the weather, the pandemic, what people may say. We choose what we think about those things. We choose what we say about those things. And we choose how we respond to those things that we do not control. And so then the second type of Stoic philosophy that accompanies identifying what we have in control and what we don't have in control is what handle are we going to grab on this? The idea being there are two handles to every situation. There's the smooth handle and there's the rough handle. You know, the smooth handle in a pandemic would say, I'm going to, you know, uh, if I'm somebody that believes, you know, taking these steps are the right steps to take, I'm going to take those steps. If uh, I'm stuck in traffic, I'm not going to get mad at traffic and yell at traffic and, and be rude and angry towards the people in the traffic. That's, that's the rough handle. You know, the smooth handle might be, is this an opportunity for me to be more present? Is this an opportunity for me if I have <laughs> access to the Independent Life podcast, listen to the podcast or other audible books that could be about self-growth or if it's not going to risk an accident, connecting with somebody and, and you know, calling them or doing something besides getting angry at traffic. Traffic doesn't care. Weather, you know, if we had a plan to, to be outside, to have a game, to have a picnic, if our flight gets delayed because of weather, you know, instead of getting angry and yelling at people and getting so upset, it's something that's not going to change. That's the thing with when we identify the things that we don't have control over, we can then say, well, what's the use in getting angry at the weather that I don't have control over? What's the use of getting angry with that car alarm that's outside that keeps going off? You know, my anger is not going to stop it from going off unless I have the keys that's causing it. It's someone else, you know, and, and me getting angry at that's not going to do anything except for ruin my mood, take myself out of the present moment, 
or being the best version of myself that I can possibly be. So grabbing the, the, the smooth handle, if, if, if somebody says rude things, is, says disrespectful things, it's our choice if we choose to feel disrespected. It's our choice to decide, you know what, you know, well, that's the rough handle, right? You know, oh man, you know, someone said something to me that was disrespectful. I feel disrespected. I feel harmed. And again, there's another stoic quote is, you know, we, we are only harmed if we decide that we're harmed. If you want to be harmed, go ahead and decide to be harmed. But if you don't want to be harmed, then decide not to be harmed. And we could decide like, yeah, they might've said something disrespectful. I can't control what the words or, or what they're typing or tweeting about. I can't control that. You know, so why get mad at that? You know, and, and the smooth handle in that situation might be, well, that person probably is very lonely, angry, um, offended themselves, or just trying to hurt other people's feelings. Misery loves company. For me, when I go down that thought process of why somebody might say something like the way that they do, I end up coming towards a place of empathy and, and, and feeling for them, and, you know, if not even uh, pity. You know, which is no one wants to be pitied, but in a way, I'd rather, you know, pity where somebody's coming from than being offended by where somebody's coming from. And for me, that's the smooth handle, the handle that I, I can grab the situation from and make it a lot easier than if I chose, you know, the other handles, which are sometimes easier to choose to grab those handles. But in the long run, they're much more harder to carry the situation in. So which which way are we going to carry the situation? when we come across it, that we have control over it. We can control which handle we grab. So the chief task, you know, is to identify what do we have in control, what do we do not have in control, let go of being angry or those things that we have, uh, or upset or sad, that we don't have control over, and then identify well, what we do have control over, our thoughts, our words, our actions. And from there, which handle? We're going to grab the handle of, of being uh, offended and angry and, and complain, or we're going to grab the handle that is the virtuous handle, you know, of being aware, of being empathetic, of being grateful, of having humility. So we, we do have choices over that. So, so gr I hope that, you know, we can all grab the handle. Not so easy, you know, to, to be in that place, but you often can lead to a lot of great virtues that we can attain if we're able to grab the smooth handle. One of the, the, the stories that I really like about grabbing a smoother handle is that of Thomas Edison. Uh, Ryan Holiday has a really great story where he accounts where Thomas Edison, who's this inventor and has these laboratories that he's doing all kinds of experiments in, you know, he's having dinner with his family at his home and someone comes in and rushes and tells him that to come quickly, his laboratory where he has all of his experiments, his life's work is ablaze. It's on fire. And so he, you know, runs out there and he sees this massive fire. It's too late to do anything about it. And he instructs the person or the, I think it was his son to go grab your mother and the rest of your friends to come watch this fire. They'll see nothing like it. You know, apparently it was a beautiful fire because he had all kinds of different types of chemicals and compounds in there that, you know, was ablaze. And, and instead of being all upset about it, he was later, you know, said that this gave me, you know, my second act in life. I knew I would never be bored again, you know, trying to build back what I had lost. And I'm going to, you know, he said, I'm going to be better for it because I get to do it again. You know, so I think of that one and like, oh man, you know, the, you know, I just lost um, a bunch of work on the computer because the electricity went off. I didn't save it. Lost a flash drive that was on. Yeah, that's awful. I've been through that many times. But guess what? I get to be better at it. I get to go recreate it again. It can be very easy to grab the handle that I don't have control over. It's lost. It's gone. Can never retrieve it. 
all right, I got to do it over again and, and I'll be better for it. And I might come up with better ideas along the way than, than when I had it. So again, which handle are we going to be uh, grabbing here? Another philosophy in Stoicism that I find to be very helpful as we're going through very difficult and dark times is something known as uh, finding yourself a Cato. Um, uh, Cato was, there's many Catos, I guess, in Stoic philosophy, but uh, one of them, the last name escapes me, uh, was known to be a very just solid individual. The idea here is, is that, you know, character is what we do when no one's watching. So what it, what is it you know that we're doing when when no one's watching and and in leadership this this becomes a very important philosophy because in leadership and again anyone can be a leader it's not you know, a position of authority you know how we conduct ourselves when no one's watching is very important because it, it it'll eventually bleed over into the times when we're in public or when we're interacting with people if we're not doing good things if we're you know doing things that aren't healthy for us. Or, or others while no one's watching. That's just not good for the soul. Uh, there's probably cognitive dissidence against our value system. And, and so the idea of this is, is that when we are alone and, and we're you know, making a decision between you know, grabbing the smooth handle or the rough handle, imagine you know, someone, in this case it was Cato, but like who's your Cato? Like who's someone you look up to in, a, in that situation would make the best decision? And imagining that they're actually watching you. And we tend to behave more ethically when, we, when there's someone else around. And, and so the idea of this is it's kind of like a little like Santa Claus, I suppose, you know, is, which I'm not sure is the best thing uh, with kids, but potentially maybe for ourselves is that, you know, we don't want to be on the naughty list. You know, we, we, we want to do the right thing. And so the, the idea is having that silent observer and present with us and imagining that they were watching us and what would we do if someone was watching us that we looked up to and we respected and knew would you know do the right decision in that moment what would that do and it's almost kind of like i guess you know in modern times it would be like if there was a camera on us what would we do it's amazing how people's behavior changes when there's a camera around uh, i know that um a friend of mine who delivers pizzas i saw him this past weekend uh, while he was getting off of work and he had a he had a body cam I was like, why do you have a body cam? He's like, you will not believe how, you know, as of recently, how rude a lot of people are nowadays. And so um, we have encountered so many incidences with the drivers. He's a delivery driver and uh, customers where they decided to put body cams on. And it's like knocked out the incidences of, of customers being rude or disrespectful or yelling or even threatening physical violence. He says it's cut it down by like 90% because they have a body cam. There's a camera right there. So this idea of finding yourself a Cato, imagining a role model there, I think in modern times would be, imagine there's a camera on you. Are you gonna succumb to this vice uh, or, or do this kind of thing that you wouldn't want anyone else to know about? It's kind of that. It's kind of even like, um, I think uh, uh, Joe Rogan had once said, is imagine that people are m- making a documentary about your life and you got this camera crew following you around at all times. How are you gonna conduct yourself? knowing that there's going to be an audience that's going to watch this one day. Be the hero in your own story. And, 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 and the hero's journey involves suffering, involves overcoming great adversities, and, and maybe not being well-equipped to do it. So imagine that situation. Imagine that there's someone watching. Imagine that, you know, you, know, you don't have to imagine that you're going through this adversity and you're the hero of the story. So that kind of is what kind of comes to mind as I think about the Stoic philosophy of finding ourselves a Cato to help conduct us and make those good choices about grabbing the smooth handle. Another one is the art of acquiescence. 
So the art of acquiescence would tell us that we, again, it's kind of accepting those things that are out of our control and being okay with that. It's non-resistance. In Eastern philosophy, is like, don't resist what is. The past is the past. These things happen. If you've been lied to, if you've been cheated on, if things have been stolen from you, if you've been abused, um, can't go in the past and change that. Not uh, surrendering to that in a way that's, you know, passive resignation, but in a way that like in AA, one of the more, most powerful and first steps is, is getting over denial, you know, quit denying reality, you know, accepting the truth of the conditions. And usually uh, this kind of acceptance comes through pain. Like we're almost like a lot of times people will talk about this rock bottom theory is like until we hit rock bottom, it's hard to surrender to the reality of the situations that we're in, that we're in over our head and often have to ask for help. So as we're going through the realities of a situation and acquiescing to the conditions, it is so important for us to reach out for help. This can be one of the most difficult things for people to do because uh, for some reason, maybe it's through society, it's seen as weakness. Oh, you're, you're needing help. You're weak. No, no. Most people aren't thinking that way, but we buy into these social cultural narratives and myths that are out there. And yeah, it can be attached to masculinity. Real men don't cry and ask for help and blah, blah, blah. I hope, and again, this ties to, you know, mental health and disability and stigma, you know, that we, we're, we're overcoming that. I really hope that we're overcoming that because the reality is, is acquiescing to this, you know, we, we all need each other. We all need each other. And acquiescing to that reality, understanding that we can't do it alone is huge. And look, when I look at nature, the, the biggest trees that in our country, maybe on the planet, I don't know, are redwoods. You know, these redwood trees that are literally 200 to 300 feet tall. I mean, that's 20, 30 stories up in the sky. Their roots only go down like six feet. They only go down six feet. But guess what? They also go parallel to the surface and connect with the roots of other trees. And they stabilize themselves through connecting to the root systems of other trees. That's like us. You know, we need each other too to stay balanced, to stay upright. And, and our roots are with each other. You know, whether they're you know, interpersonally through individuals that we might have in our circles or as community, we need each other. I believe I need to acquiesce to that. I need to recognize that I can't do all this on my own. You know, it can't be like this typical dude mentality where, oh, uh, you know, I don't need help. I got this and, and, and be able to do that. So that's another one there that I think is very, very important uh, is that we reach out, that we acquiesce and understand that, yes, we talk a lot about independence on this podcast, but it's interdependence that is the highest value of all. And Steve Covey talked about that. You know, it's dependence, you know, is the lowest level, then independence, and then interdependence is one of the highest levels that's out there. So um, that's a huge one. There's some stoic mantras that I find very important as I'm going through challenging experiences that I, I find to be like resonate and, and can snap me out of the moment. So I encourage you to, you know, to come up with having readily accessible sayings, song lyrics, quotes, verses from a poem, whatever it may be to help you anchor through certain things. So, so this doesn't come from stoicism, but for example, it would be this too shall pass. Man, those are powerful words. This too shall pass. I had a friend of mine who's going through a really hard divorce, and, and that's one of his anchors, is this too shall pass. You know, I'm going to get beyond this. 
You know, and that's important for him to say. It's important for us to say because oftentimes we can feel like there's no end. Well, I always feel like this is something that people will say uh, when going through very hard times, uh, uh, you know, mourning a loss of someone that's close to them or going through a breakup or whatever it may be or feeling sick. Well, I always feel like this. No, this too shall pass, which, by the way, it's important to say that during the good times because the good times don't last forever either. And, and that can maybe help anchor us in being more present and grateful for being in a good experience. So this too shall pass is an example of a mantra or a quote or a lyric. And stoicism is chock full of these that really help it anchor me. And one of them is, is that we tend to suffer more in anticipation and in imagination than we do in reality. Oh, my gosh. And, and I think Mark Twain said this, too, is that, you know, I suffered a great deal of things, many of which have never really happened. So how much are we worrying about events that never really actually happened? There's some minutiae. There's some nuance there. And, and I know it's hard in our modern times to have nuanced uh, thoughts, but there's nuance there. It's like, yeah, we want to be prepared for what may happen. But as we prepare for what may happen, that's not so good. Not doing it with anxiety or worry, but doing it very objectively and preparing for it methodically. It's not to say that we should be like having a bunch of anxiety about things that may or may not happen. Um, I recently in a long form interview had talked about, I got some news on Friday about that. I was going to find out the results of something come Monday and the results were probably not going to be good. I then had to go into a weekend knowing I was probably going to receive not the hottest news on Monday. And I had no control over what that news was going to be, you know, checks already in the mail is already decided. And over the weekend, intermittently, I noticed I would start having these thoughts of anxiety and imagination and suffering ahead of time before the news on Monday. And, and that suffering wasn't going to change what was going to happen. You know, I was just suffering in anticipation ahead of time unnecessarily about something that wasn't going to change. I was going to get the news on Monday. Why suffer ahead of time? I think in, there's also a verse that says, you know, don't, don't worry about tomorrow. You know, just be focused on today. Tomorrow's going to bring its own worries. So don't do it ahead of time. And, and, and so, you know, I, over the weekend, you know, I was at a birthday party. I was out at the beach and I could tell there was this tug you know, wanted me to, to have anxiety and worry and what's it going to be and what am I going to say and do if this, that, or the other happens. Not in a way of good strategy, strategizing, but just in like an anxiety way. So I had to be very focused and present and just remind myself of this quote. Don't suffer any more ahead of time than need be. You know, so be here, be now, and be present. So that stoic one very much helps me. Another one, and I think it comes from Marcus Aurelius, says, do not let the whole sweep of life overwhelm you. Do not let the whole sweep of life overwhelm you. And I get this you know, a lot because I can think about all the different things that I have going on in my life. Being, being a director of a center for independent living, where we have nearly 40 staff who do all kinds of different wonderful work. So I got to you know, be present and involved with what's going on there, you know, the financial stability of the center, collaborating with other people, understanding what the needs of the people that we serve are, which are very heavy. And then also, you know, got a family life, got three young boys, got a wife. We're also beyond that, a family that I care deeply about, and they have all these things going on. And when I take the 2,000 mile view of all these different things going on and more, it can get overwhelming. You know, on one hand, it can be exciting and it's wonderful and I'm so privileged to be in this position. And at the same time, it, it can get overwhelming if I stay up there too long. And so the whole sweep of everything going on can get overwhelming. And, and what I find to be helpful is then, okay, go back to my breath. 
zoom in, you know, quit being so zoomed out and looking at the whole sweep of life. Instead, just focus on my breath. Just focus on whatever task is at hand at, on that task. Not, not, you know, that task plus thinking about 10 other things at the same time. We can't multitask. We can task switch, but we can't multitask. I can't multitask. That's powerful for me, too, because who it comes from? Marcus Aurelius, the emperor of Rome, arguably the most powerful leader of all time because of the empire that he had at that time, plus all the different things. He was himself going through a 15-year pandemic, Antonine pandemic. He had, like— Way more kids than I have three. He's got like, he had like 10, many of which who died before him. So for someone like that to say this, who had way more going on than I do, it's very powerful to help anchor me during the, the times that I could be suffering. And I suffer oftentimes because I'm looking too much in the big picture of things and staying there too long. I need to zoom in at the small picture, one breath at a time. You know, life is full of hardship and adversity. And instead of being in a place where I'm praying for it to not happen. Instead, pray that when it does happen, I have the strength of character to endure. That's a, I'm paraphrasing a quote there, totally paraphrasing it and butchering it. But the gist of it is, is that it's just nature has all kinds of challenges. That's just natural. And they're going to come. It's going to come. Just be prepared when they do. And that for me means that, you know, when it's very important to take care of our health, it's very important to, to our physical health, our mental health, our social health, our intellectual health, whatever that might be. Always take time for self-care, be prepared for when those challenges come. And to me, that's the preparation. So when the challenges do come, if I'm in a better place of physical health, if I have good social connections, if I, you know, feeding my mind and, and growing uh, with, with the mindset that I have, I'm going to be better prepared for when the challenges come because they're going to come. Now, don't pray that they won't come. Pray that when they do come, and act it in accordance uh, that I'm in, a, I'm in a good place, that I'm, that I'm strong enough to endure those kind of things. Uh, another one is, and I kind of mentioned this before, is that, you know, in a situation, choose not to be harmed, and you're not harmed. Another Stoic uh, fan, uh, Shakespeare, you know, has famously said, there's no th- such thing as good or bad, but thinking makes it so. You know, it's like the, the world is the world uh, is, and having an opinion about it is going to really drive that. You know, Einstein said one of the most important decisions we have to make is deciding, do we live in a hostile universe or do we live in a friendly universe? This comes from a person who was Jewish and at the time were Jews were very, very much persecuted. He could have easily seen the world as very hostile uh, and probably had to, you know, come up against making that choice often in his life. So it's a stoic idea, you know, that, you know, we're, we're only harmed if we choose to be so. If we're offended, we are complicit in that offense because we're, we're, we're the ones that, you know, do that. Another one is the stoics did a lot of walking. And, you know, the idea being, you know, the mind needs to be handed over, I think this was Seneca, over to wandering walks to process a lot of the things that we have going on. So the oldest form of transportation, and if you're a person with a disability that can't walk, Roll, or maybe someone can assist you in, in being able to get outside if possible, you know, be in the elements and hand that mind over, you know, to wandering walks or rolls. And Nietzsche even said, you know, the only good thoughts that he's ever had, and whether you agree with him or not, was had while having walks and connecting and uh, and being able to do that. So that one I find to be very important, especially as I'm overwhelmed, as I'm stressed, is uh, handing, handing my, my wandering mind over to wandering walks. 
Another thing that I found to be very powerful is, uh, again, it comes from Marcus Aurelius uh, during times where, of adversity, is saying to ourselves that this is not unfortunate that is happening to me, that it is fortunate that is happening to me. So it took me a while to really understand where he was coming from here. But, you know, a lot of times when we're going through difficult situations, it, you know, it's natural for me to say, why does this have to happen to me? Or why does this always happen to me? Bad questions, in my opinion, to be asking, because we're likely going to be manifesting more of whatever that is that is happening by asking those kind of questions. We'll get the answer and it'll probably be more of that same old situation for me that drives getting stuck. Those are kind of questions that are getting stuck. So the idea being, you know, instead of saying, you know, like, why is this always happening to me? Or this is I've always had bad luck or this is unfortunate. Rather saying that this is fortunate. And the idea here being is that we have what it takes to handle this misfortune. It's fortunate that it's happening to us. It's, these challenges are fortunate because we can handle it. We got the, the fortitude. We got the strength of character. We have the value system. We have the vision. We have the philosophical foundations to be able to handle this. If this happened to somebody else, it would break them. But not us. We have shoulders made of ivory. And we can do this. You know, it might not feel good, but we can do this. And again, this comes from a person that says the obstacle is the way. The adversity that we're facing, that we're pushing through, is going to make us stronger. It's going to bear all kinds of values and virtues. Again, we might not understand it as we're going through it, but it's very important to understand that once we get through it, once we get past it, we're going to be better for it. It's going to build the fortitude that we need. And so it's fortunate that we're going through these things uh, that we're going through. Connecting to the idea that enough is enough is also a Stoic philosophy, that this idea that you know, people tend to suffer because they're always wanting more. The idea is, is that poverty isn't not having a, bun a bunch of money and materialism. Poverty is wanting more. And there's a lot of people that have a lot of money that are just fixated and addicted to having more, having more materialism, having more money. And there's people that don't have a lot of money and material that have enough. And, and again, pointing to Ryan Holiday, who recounts a story that I think is very powerful, Kurt Vonnegut, and I think his name is Joseph Keller, were at a, a very uh, rich person's house. And Keller starts needling Vonnegut and saying, you know, yeah, you wrote Catcher in the Rye, but this person's house that we're at, he made more money this past week than you'll make in your whole lifetime. And Vonnegut says, you know what, but I have something he doesn't have. And Keller says, what is that? He says, I have enough. I have enough. And there's peace there. So how much suffering are we going through because we're always wanting more? And whatever we're wanting, it's kind of the wrong thing. More followers, more likes, you know, uh, people to think highly of us and uh, uh, gaining social approval from other people and always wanting that and not having enough of attention. Uh, you know, maybe learning to just be satisfied and grateful for what we have and not on the hedonic treadmill of always wanting more. There's another one here, too, that, that I think is very important. But the Stoics were very big on disciplining their desires. So specifically what they would call base desires. Whether or not they're, they're these vices, I guess, that they would be nowadays. Alcohol, tobacco, other drugs, trying to get adoration and fame from other people, uh, reputations. Um, these things that could be kind of like natural, hedonic-type pleasures they really were very uh, attuned to like, yes, we got to really stay out of these quick dopamine type inducing fixes, whether that's incessant video gaming, social media use, uh, binge watching TV. There's all kinds of things that are very dopamine 
producing that can cause all kinds of desires and attachments and clinging. The Stoics were very big on recognizing these vices and ridding themselves of those desires because it ultimately leads to a lot of suffering. And, and often, you know, it could be the, that thing that we're trying to escape the suffering from that lead to these vices, that lead to these desires, that we're just layering on the suffering that we already have with these distractions from that suffering that's not fixing the root causes of the suffering, that it really is just a form of escapism that lead then to its own addictions and its own sufferings in itself. So don't add another layer of challenges to the challenges we're already facing by succumbing to all these, you know, pleasure, see, you know, dopamine seeking desire that we might cultivate from that. And again, everything that I'm saying here begins with me. I need to be taking all of this advice first and foremost. I want to come across, and I can probably in my tone here sound like I'm lecturing, and and I've got this licked and. You know, I'm an expert in all these other things. Absolutely, 100%. Nope. I'm saying all this so I can remind myself, like Marcus Aurelius did when he was writing meditations. It was for him. He was, and I'm no Marcus Aurelius, and I'm not writing any meditations by these dojos. Um, it's just reminders, uh, you know, because, um, yeah, right now, uh, I got some people that I love in my life that are going through some very, very real difficulties. Like, it's no game. The, the people that we're serving here nowadays, uh, I mean, it is very palpable, the, the, the extra layer of anxiety and suffering that people are feeling. I, I, I can understand where our staff are coming from and feeling overwhelmed themselves and having to really work three, five times as hard as they ever have. They were already hard workers, and now they're being asked to do more with less, serve more with less. Everything that I'm saying here, I'm seeking to put into practice, and I'm not always... Uh, able to do that, but I, um, I do have the desire and motivation uh, to, to keep trying, and I hope to continue to try. And you know, part of the the dojo here is the level of accountability. Yeah, you know, and and for myself and putting this out there, um, it is a level of accountability for myself. So I I, I don't want to come across as preachy. I don't want to come across as someone that's an expert in this. I'm 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 learning. I'm learning myself, and I hope that as I learn and, and as I, I attempt to put this into practice and, and make mistakes and learn from them and, and keep going through that cycle, I hope if anything that I'm able to share here can help just you know, one person gain some kind of respite during the difficulties that they may be facing, it's all worthwhile then. It's all worthwhile. You know, I, I, I really do hope that if you're out there and you're listening to this, you're needing any kind of grounding or anchoring, I encourage you to find your own philosophical foundation, the values, or if you already have them, you know, you know, continually coming back to them and going over them. It's just, I, I think, so important for all of us because um, they're, they're important reminders to stay anchored during uncertain times that can really you know, toss us around and, and where we want to go right, is to live independently, but also be interdependent on one another, never lose sight of that, and to be able to do it in a way that takes us to where we're, we're seeking to go. And that's to be better versions of ourselves, hopefully, so that we can be of service to other people. And that's life to me that I seek to live onward and upward. Thanks for listening to the Independent Life Podcast, brought to you by the Center for Independent Living of North Central Florida. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe. 
And if you know anyone who might benefit from listening, share this podcast and invite them to subscribe too. For questions, suggestions, or if you have a story you'd like to share, please email us at cilncf.org at gmail.com or call us at 352-378-7474. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, support, advocate, and empower each other to live the independent life.